Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Hello, this is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with two of the authors of a paper entitled Risk Factors for IV Compounding Errors When Using an Automated Workflow Management System. With me are Alex Lynn and John Hingle. Dr. Lynn is Assistant Professor of Pharmacy Systems and Design at the University of Cincinnati Winkle College of Pharmacy. Mr. Hingle is Director of Pharmacy Operations at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. John, let's begin this discussion by having you uh, share with listeners some basic contextual information about the study site, including uh, the pharmacy's process for compounding IVs at your hospital. Okay. Children's Hospital of Cincinnati is a 598-bed tertiary care hospital. Our patients are all high acuity and require a high volume of IV medication. Our pharmacy IV room is a centralized IV room. Um, we prepare IV medications for all the inpatient units. We do have a satellite pharmacy in the OR and in our Hemonc area for our specialty needs. Our IV room is a very large IV room. It's 797 compliant, and it contains 13 hoods for IV preparation and an additional separate room for preparation of chemotherapy and biohazard medications. Uh, the total area of our IV room is 2,200 square feet. Our typical workload for a day is approximately 3,500 IV doses, so it's a quite a busy area. For the most part, our process for preparing product, they are prepared by a technician and then verified and completed by a pharmacist. Oftentimes, though, our pharmacists are required to complete the entire process from start to finish with a double check from another pharmacist or a technician. We do not use the drawback method, but we actually do a visual check before the final compounding occurs. When you say drawback method, John, what are you referring to there? Uh, there are some institutions where a technician actually creates the whole uh, product from start to finish and then simply places the uh, containers that they used and the syringes they used and drawbacks the syringes to what was in that syringe prior to shooting rather than actually looking at it before it is compounded. Okay. All right. Well, your study involves um, an automated IV compounding workflow management system. Could you briefly describe how that system works, including how uh, error information is captured? Sure. The system we use is called DoseEdge. It is a workflow management system and a documentation system that sort of leads the technician through the entire process of production. What happens is our orders are verified in our electronic medical record by a pharmacist, and the system then transfers that data through a data stream to the DoseEdge product. The orders appear in a DoseEdge queue for preparation. A technician then chooses an item to prepare based on the time it was needed and selects those via the touchscreen. When the technician chooses an item to prepare, a label is printed at the uh, predetermined location, which can be designated per product by hood, and a predetermined procedure appears on the screen. Now, each of these procedures is specifically programmed for each particular product, so if it's an item that needs reconstitution and so forth, each step uh, is dictated by the, the process that's on the screen. So the technician follows the screen instructions, including uh, scanning the diluent and the drug that is being used, and we have programmed into the procedure uh, specific times during the process that a photo is taken, and that is determined based on what the compound is and how many pictures need to be taken to show the entire process. When a technician scans an item that is incorrect, a warning pops up on the screen and the technician cannot proceed until that is corrected. So for example, if an incorrect drug is scanned, a warning pops up, the technician then realizes that it is an incorrect drug and retrieves a correct drug and then scans that product. 
all errors anywhere in the process are documented automatically and stored uh, for uh, 90 days on site and then off campus for as long as we desire. Each process step is tracked and each photo is stored uh, along with that so that we can reference those in the future for any errors that might come up in any analysis we need to do. Alex, let me turn to you. Uh, there are other uh, research reports that have been uh, given, published on uh, error reduction from the use of automated compounding workflow management systems. What's unique about uh, your study? The distinctive you know, aspect of our research was to identify the variables associated with that kind of higher error rates. And we want to quantify and prioritize this in an effort to determine the effective you know, improvement strategy. So you think about that each arrow has a lot of attribute associated with that. So we want to identify which one the factor associated with that. So to be clear, your study captured information on errors that were made and corrected in the compounding process before the IVs were released to patient care areas. Is that correct? Yes. In, you know, in this study, actually, we detect a compounding error before delivery those, you know, doses to patient care units. So the incorrect compounded doses were intercepted and prevented. Right. John, uh, this article says that the analysis of 12 months' data covered only about 60% of the IV doses prepared. Please explain why that was the case. Well, during this period of study, um, we had not fully implemented our dosage system yet. There were some items in the IVM that were being prepared using the system and others that were not. And the distinction here was essentially how complicated those items were and how complicated it was to program dosage to work efficiently with them. During the time that we were doing this study, we were preparing all of our stock solutions. Those stock solutions are defined as items that we are preparing from bulk drug that will be used further for individual patient doses. So we were recording those in dosage, and we were recording the individual doses that were actually just syringes that were drawn up out of those containers. More complicated compounded medications, such as compounded IV fluids or uh, infusions of monoclonal antibodies and so forth, were not set up in the dosage system at the time. This was our first pass at utilizing dosage, and we were primarily interested in uh, how the barcode validation can help us stop errors and using the photographic capabilities of the system to uh, prepare for remote checking, which we don't do currently but are hoping to in the future. So the dosage system is actually very good at catching any kind of programmatic errors as far as things that can be driven by an NDC code. For example, if I scan a dealing that is not appropriate, can check that and throw up a warning. It can check a drug. It can also make sure that the systematic process is enforced. What it can't do is visualize volumes. So those are the kind of things that were a limitation to it Currently, there is now an opportunity to add a gravimetric check where we incorporate a scale to weigh the final product to compare against the calculated weight, which has the potential to close this loop, but we have not gotten to that level of sophistication yet. Okay. Alex, uh, could you give our listeners a, sort of a high-level summary of what you found with respect to the frequency of errors? Yes. In our study, actually, the overall error rate was 0.74%. Of those, the, ma the vast you know, majority were incorrect, diluent. 36% and incorrect medication, 31% of overall error detected. And actually, these two errors was detected by the dosage system. Volume error, about 20%, the third common error type, which cannot be detected by the dosage system, but were caught by the pharmacist. And of overall error detected, 
dosage were able to detect 73%, and the remaining 27% were detected by the pharmacist. Most of the errors that were detected by dosage, though, involved really process issues with our own internal processes, non-standard items that were mingled with uh, standardized items. We have standard concentrations, standard diluents for the vast majority of our products. And for example, if we have a product that's normally diluted in dextrose 5%, but a particular patient for various reasons may need that diluted in normal saline or vice versa. That was sometimes co-mingled with the other diluent. And that is where most of those errors occurred. So when we were preparing a batch, for example, perhaps 90% of those were medications that were in dextrose and one was normal saline and that was that error was caught. And that is one thing that is really great about dosage is those individual mix-ups that happen in a, in a batch process can be caught pretty easily. Another problem we had was a lot of our pre-made bags come from the same manufacturer and they're actually very similar looking. And in the past that required a pharmacist to actually visualize that and notice that it's different. With dosage, when they scan that product, it gives a warning and, and a different product is chosen. So that was the second largest error. One that is a little bit more complicated is our expiration dating. Dosage can predict when a medication is due. In fact, it is programmed to know this particular dose is due at this particular time and correlate that to the product that is being used to fulfill that order and then flag if the product that is being used will expire before the time the medication is actually due and not allow the, person, the technician to proceed with that expired medication. Unfortunately, for items like PRN items that are at bedside and no specific due time, the system can't compensate for unknown due time and therefore allows that product to be made. And those required the pharmacist to catch that, hey, this is a, a PRN medication that's really not going to be done before this product expires and then make sure that that doesn't get out onto the floor. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about really the, the heart of this study. Uh, John, among the seven potential risk factors for errors that were studied, you found that four of them were significant predictors of compounding errors. Uh, let's consider each of these four in turn, starting with staff shift. Uh, what did you find in this regard? Well, what we found was actually quite interesting and, and very enlightening, and that is the times when you would expect things to be less accurate were actually the opposite. We found our best accuracy on our overnight shift. Second was our evening shift, and our highest error rate was on our day shift. Now, our study didn't actually explore the reasons for that, but we do have some uh, thoughts. Uh, it's probably related to the content, the specific content of the work. Uh, that is, is it a new order or versus a batch refill? The amount of interruptions, the amount of interruptions are by nature less at night and uh, more during the day shift. The experience level of the staff, it just so happens that we have a highly experienced staff working our third shift and our newer people are being trained during day shifts. And again, the urgency of the order, is this a, a stat or is it something that's just routine? Of course, none of that is addressed in the study and is something that would be a great basis for a future study. Sure. Well, let's uh, consider the next uh, risk factor, Alex. Uh, day of the week, what can you say about that? You know, based on our study, the most error-prone day was Monday. That's interesting. This is likely a reflection of the type of the order completed and the frequency of interruption. Patients are usually discharged just prior to the weekend and also elective in admission are highest on Monday. So this leads to a spike you know, in new order as opposite to refill and increase in urgency for those you know, orders. The third factor was uh, patient care area. John, what can you say about that one? Well, when we looked at our data, we broke it up into three distinct groups starting with the highest critical care areas, so the CICU, the neonatal ICU, pediatric ICU. 
were in our ED is what we called our critical carriers. Our specialty areas, Hemonc, BMT, our infusion center, were our second category of areas and then our general care area. And if you look at the data, it'll show that our error rate, and, and this is to be expected, was highest in the critical care areas. And then as we went to the specialty areas, we're not necessarily as urgent of medications, but highly specialized and highly trained people there. And then the general carriers were the urgency and the complications not as high had our lowest error rate. Again, that is really just anecdotal and doesn't speak specifically to the specific errors, but it is our speculation that it is because of the urgency and complication that, that those are that way. Alex, do you have something to add on this one? Yeah, I think I agree. You know, I think you know, the older type of urgency would likely the problem for this kind of you know, error. John, um, what can you say about the risk factor of whether a pharmacist or a technician was compounding the preparation? Well, you know, I found this one actually quite interesting because intuitively and being a pharmacist, I kind of expected the pharmacist would be significantly more accurate than the technicians. And then our data shows that the error rate for technicians was 0.75%, and for our pharmacists it was 0.66%, which is different, but probably not even statistically significant. So it's surprisingly consistent. And for the technicians, you know, while their error rate is a little higher, it's really kind of in the same ballpark. Again, we would need to study more detail about what the pharmacist errors were versus the technician error to clarify this. Because it's already very low and it's surprisingly consistent, it would indicate that there's a process issue involved rather than a vigilance or attention to detail kind of issue. And what could be related to that is also the factors such as interruptions and workload. Oftentimes when our pharmacists have to jump in, they're fresh and they're not really being interrupted, whereas technicians are doing the same task over and over again all day long. Sure. Sort of an ancillary question, John. I'm curious, how are the technicians who work in the IV compounding area trained at your institution? We have a really rigorous training program. We have, at any particular time, we can have five to 12 technicians in the IV room, but they're each signed off on a competency for every particular task. So our general technician who walks in the door may spend a month in the IV room before they're even allowed to work on their own, and then as each different task is presented to them and they are trained on that, there is a competency examination that they have to take to pass. So they have actually very extensive training. John, have the results of this study led to any changes in the IV compounding process? Yeah, I, yes they have. We've actually relocated a lot of our similar looking products to address that look-alike kind of issue we talked about earlier. We've rearranged some hoods to uh, expedite checking, and it's kind of separate from what we talk about in the study, but uh, was one of our delays. We've added a status board, which is a function in dosage that shows uh, everyone in the ivory room what's going on where to alert people as what needs to be done, and, and we've actually reassigned some of our staff in response to that to increase our throughput on certain more urgent items. The data that we've collected has really been a basis for modifying our staffing to accommodate the workload fluctuations, which you know are not as obvious when you're just looking at raw data, uh, but when you look at it in this kind of a systematic way, you can get a better handle on what needs to be done when, and we're continuing to monitor that and modify our, our uh, staffing as needed. Very good. Alex, uh, do you have any thoughts about what the priority should be with respect to future research on the accuracy of IV compounding in hospitals? Yes. You know, the potential future study, we would like to determine, you know, the clinical consequence of this avoided, you know, errors. And also we want to, you know, conduct a further analysis, which factor associated with that kind of errors. For example, we want to compare, you know, the new order error rate to refill order rate.
and also we want to see how effect of the interruption on uh, work quality. So, Jiang, do you have additional thing? You know, I mean, we have talked. Well, I mean, my list is very long. I would love to see <laughs> the effect of experience versus uh, new, uh, um, and I think the answer to that is obvious, but then how to bridge that gap between people who are not as experienced and those who are experienced. I think the fact that we uh, have that really similar error rate between technicians and pharmacists speaks to the process and what we can do with the process to further decrease that number of errors. And of course, 0.75 is a pretty low rate, and you know, the, you reach a law of diminishing returns when you're trying to get that last little bit out of your system. The other part is uh, the effect of using a gravimetric check to catch those volume errors because those are 27% of those were the ones that were caught by a pharmacist that would get through the actual system. A gravimetric check with a scale in the hood when we're weighing a final product obviously would really slow us down, but the balancing the safety aspects of getting a better product out the door against the workload that it would increase, and then also working with that system to make it as efficient as possible so we can get uh, both the safety and the throughput done. This has been a discussion with Alex Lin of the University of Cincinnati, Winkle College of Pharmacy, and John Hingle of Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. We've been discussing their AJHP paper on risk factors for IV compounding errors when using an automated workflow management system. For AJHP Voices, this is William Zelmer. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.